PyTest is awesome by itself. PyTest plus plugins is even better. In this episode, Anthony Sotili and I discuss the top PyTest plugins according to download counts. It's a lot of fun and you'll, I know you'll learn a lot. I know I did. Thank you, Oxylabs, for sponsoring this episode. Oxylabs, a top provider of innovative services, including real-time crawler, web scraper, and residential and data center proxies, trusted by more than 500 companies. Find out what they can do for you at oxylabs.io slash testencode. Welcome to Test and Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. Today on Test and Code, we're going to do something fun. And I have Anthony Satilli. You've been on before. Thank you for coming on again. And I had this crazy idea to just kind of talk about PyTest plugins. Well, first of all, welcome, Anthony. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, PyTest plugins are definitely a, one of the cool parts of PyTest. There's other tools that have plugin capabilities like Coverage and Flake 8 that, that I think the uh, plugin ability makes them even more popular. And I think that's definitely the case with PyTest as well. It would be powerful without it, but it's very powerful with it. Mm-hmm. I know how to write plugins. I'm not sure where, if plugin, do you know if plugins were just part of PyTest from the beginning or? Mm, that, that all predates me a little bit, but as long as I've been with the project, yeah, Py. Uh, PyTest plugins have been a big part of how PyTest works. Some of the plugins I almost I forget are really separate that you have to download, and because um, some of the functionality of PyTest that, that I think of as built in really are they're built by plugins. So um, PyTest ships with a bunch of plugins already, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, internally PyTest actually implements a lot of its functionality by uh, internal plugins. Like the 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 nose stuff, um, it, it can run uh, unit test and nose, and both of those are written as plugins, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, as well cool. as like the logging and warning stuff, that stuff is all done by plugins. So I can't remember. I think I went through a couple of hoops to get this, but there's um uh there's PyPI stats, and then there's something else I think that I grabbed this from. But um, I I just grabbed search for PyTest on the I think I took the top four thousand uh, PyPI downloads of the last year, um, and then searched for just PyTest in there to try to find the plugins because usually if people are nice they'll name their plugin either PyTest dash something or something dash PyTest. Um, I don't think that's a rule, but. Uh, it's be weird to not because how would people find it? Yeah. Hopefully we're not missing any because of that, but yeah, I assume we'll get most of them. And I know that download counts aren't, um, aren't the only thing, but after looking at this, I think that actually like the top 20 or 50 are a fairly decent representation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I think we should just stop, jump in. I don't know how many we're going to get through. We're just going to start doing it, doing it until we either run out of time or either, Anthony or I get bored with it. So <laughs> um, I'm bored already now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm I'm sorry now. Uh, why don't I just introduce the first one? Uh, it's PyTest-Cov, which is the is a plugin to help you run coverage. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I actually think this plugin is is very good for bridging coverage and PyTest, which are two tools that you know they're almost born for each other, like coverage and testing. 
Um, I myself, I tend not to use this plugin all that often because you can get away with just vanilla coverage. But you know, if you want one command that does everything, PyTestCov is the way to do it. One of the recommendations from coverage, or at least it was for a while, was you want to be able to capture even the startup of every of something. And so using a, a PyTest plugin might get it so that you like miss some of the initialization of your test stuff. But the PyTest Cov plugin is real fairly worked fairly hard to avoid that. So I don't think this this plugin has that problem. The other bit that um all the flags whether or not the flags keep up. So the PyTest Cov, if there's some of the flags that you want to use from coverage that aren't supported by PyTest Cov, there's that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing I, uh, is a lot of, if you're running, if you're mostly running your coverage from talks, this plugin really doesn't buy you much. You can just run. So it's either PyTest runs coverage or coverage runs PyTest, right? Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Interestingly, there's some work that I believe is in progress, but is probably, you know, closer to done than it was before to actually merge a PyTest plugin directly into coverage. And then we wouldn't need this plugin anymore because coverage would just support it out of the box. Oh, that'd be cool. But yeah. I, I don't remember what the status of that is with the... I, I know Ned was starting to work on it, but I don't I don't remember the status of it. And then there was some talk about having um, um, just trimming down the coverage so that it wouldn't really deal with a lot of the settings and flags or anything at all. Um, and just run like some simple things, but I, I don't know. I've tried to stay out of that discussion, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the cool thing about both approaches is like PyTest Cove hooks into the process early enough that, uh, both your test discovery and runtime will get, uh, instrumented by coverage. Yeah. If I'm using PyTest Cove, I'll throw the command to, as to where the source is and all those, you have to pass in some flags. I'll mm-hmm. throw that in the PyTest any so I don't have to type it every time. Mm, true. Uh, so anyway, okay. Next up is uh, PyTest timeout. Actually, I had forgotten about this. I, I really need this right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's pretty great. I, I use this one uh, mostly at work with some tests that, uh, you know, are supposed to finish in a certain amount of time, but sometimes due to, you know, unknown circumstances may start running away or looping forever. And uh, we can't quite solve the halting problem. So this is a good plugin to put in place to just say, like, you know, if a test is running for 60 seconds, uh, it's probably never going to pass. We'll just kill it now and uh, you know, mark it as a failure. Yeah, I mean, we have um, so I have some long, long running suites that we run over the weekend against a bunch of hardware and stuff. And we could even use this for like even big timeouts. Yeah. And another thing that we use this for is like, we have a 90 minute timeout for Jenkins at work. And like, you know, if something is just spinning and not using resources for 90 minutes, that's you know 90 minutes of CPU time that we could be spending on some other project. And so this is a nice way to kind of you know, prevent those runaway jobs. Oh yeah. Okay. What do we got next? Next one we've got is PyTest Extist, which is, uh, what I like to refer to as the easiest hammer to make tests faster. The, the easiest hammer. <laughs> so, so what Extis does is it makes it really easy to take an existing PyTest suite and spread it across a number of processor cores Okay. Uh, to kind of naively paralyze your test suite. 
there are some cases where this doesn't work all that well. Like uh, I know in particular, like the MyPy test suite doesn't deal well with XDIS due to having a very, very large number of very, very small tests. Um, but you know, for, a, for an average project that seems to improve your performance out of the box. Okay. There's a flag that you can pass in for having it just pick the number of CPUs and doing a decent job. Yep, I believe it's dash n auto. Auto, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, because I wouldn't know what to pick. <laughs> Usually it tries to pick based on the number of CPU cores you have on your computer. Although I know that doesn't work all that well in like Travis CI and such. So there's special checks for like, you know, I'm on Travis CI, so there there probably aren't actually 36 processors. We're going to pick a smaller number. Yeah. Um, yeah, but even um, it. it speed stuff up even if you've got even if you just throw it on like four cores um it'll speed it up uh mm-hmm. one of the i did i was curious about it so yeah a lot of little small tests and if the if your suite's already pretty fast and you have a small number of like let's say if you've got four tests mm-hmm. it, it might not be really that much faster to split it up onto four because you're going to combine there is some overhead in combining it right so yeah it's probably actually going to be slower in that case yeah so uh, def- like like any optimization, it's good to measure before and after to make sure you've actually made things better. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's some other stuff that you have to look out for with XDIS because it is actually forking your interpreter and like running it in some processes. And so sometimes tests, you know, may have some global mutable state that doesn't really work all that well when you run them in parallel or run them in a different order. And so often you have to look out for that. Thank you to Oxylabs for sponsoring this episode. Oxylabs is a top provider of innovative web data gathering services, such as real-time crawler, web scraper, and residential and data center proxies. Oxylabs is now introducing their next-generation residential proxies, which are a significantly improved data gathering solution. They provide a stable and fast proxy pool with more than 30 million global IP addresses, and they are resource-efficient. With the proxy management, user agents, and IP re- rotation all done on the Oxylab side, Oxylabs has a deep understanding and knowledge of how to acquire web data, and they provide a dedicated account manager for every client. Already trusted by more than 500 companies, visit oxylabs.io/testingcode to find out more about their services and to apply for a free trial of their next-generation residential proxies. That's oxylabs.io/testingcode. Um, next is uh, PyTest Mock, um, and I kind of like this one. It's a, it's a definitely a convenience one um, because because Mock you can use it without a plugin. Um, you can use PyTest and Mock together, uh, but the cleanup is a little. You have to make sure you get the cleanup right, uh, don't you? Um, I mean, what happens if you don't unmock uh, something? <laughs> well, that's uh, your classic case of test pollution when you've suddenly uh, changed how a global function works and then you don't undo it at the end. Yeah, um, and that and that'll happen, right? So if you, if you if you replace some functionality, it's a, a, like a monkey patch, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, unfortunate that there is a monkey patch uh, fixture within PyTest, which actually works pretty good, and I like it. But now I. I have to, when I want to say I'm monkey patching something, does that mean monkey patching or using the monkey patch fixture? 
Right. Yeah, the thing with PyTest Mock is it's slightly more powerful than the monkey patch fixture, and so often you get you know a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more uh, feature set out of it. Yeah, and and the convenience of you just you um, you get this the mocker object, and you can just uh, you don't have to clean up afterwards because it'll clean up after your test. So, which is good and bad. <laughs> I actually. Uh, I'm sometimes a little bit hesitant about using the mocker fixture because the cleanup time is not necessarily well defined. It's supposed to be right after the test ends, but due to like fixture ordering, it might end up being slightly after that. Um, but yeah, it's it's one thing to look out for when you're using it. But what would you do instead? Would you um, create a um... context manager? Yeah, context manager. That's it. Yeah, so I'll usually use the context manager protocol with mock directly. Although sometimes I'll like write my own fixture that does that or use a yield fixture or other stuff like that. You would do the mocking right in the test then. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always scale all that well, but it, <laughs> it seems to work well enough for me. Next on our list is something that surprised me that's in here. Uh, it's PyTest-Runner or PyTest-Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, this was something that uh, you needed to do use if you were going to run PyTest code from your from your setup top high so if you if you say like um you know set or you know python setup dot py test and i want you want that to call your pytest you needed this but uh we don't want people to use this anymore right yeah for the most part setup tools and you know related pypa projects have been moving people away from python setup dot py thing um you know setup dot py test has been deprecated for almost a year now maybe a little bit more than a year and uh with that deprecation it made sense for pytest to also deprecate that approach as well and most of the reasoning behind that is because it was you know very different from how pip installs things it involved eggs all sorts of like weird technologies that have mostly gone away and uh you know encouraging people to use virtual environments and you know pip to install stuff instead yeah, I haven't used this for a long time. Yeah, I'm not surprised it has like <laughs> over 11 million downloads in the last however long. Like <laughs> that that doesn't surprise me all that much because the deprecation has been relatively recent and uh I expect it to to live for quite a while until it's eventually phased out. Yeah. Okay. So this the next one is PyTest InstaFail. Have you used it? Yes, I've used it a couple times. Um, it's pretty cool when you're working on tests interactively and you have like you know, a whole bunch of failures in a really, really long test suite. Uh, it will spit out failures as soon as they happen. So like what, what I often do or a workflow that I often do is I'll open one tab of my terminal. I'll run PyTest with InstaFail. And then as the tests are running, it might spit out a failure and I'll immediately start trying to fix that failure. I won't wait for the full test suite to end. Um, and this has like some slight advantages over vanilla PyTest because PyTest usually waits until the whole test suite is run to spit out any of the failures. Now, um, when you say spit out a failure, it is, I mean, PyTest is telling me if I do dash V, for instance, it'll tell me which test it's running mm-hmm. and whether it passed or failed. Right. But it won't give you like the assertion message or like what stack trace ended up. But InstaFail will show that immediately. Okay, so that makes it so that the uh, stack trace is showing up right away? Mm-hmm. Cool. Sometimes I'll instead use dash dash max fail one, so then I'm just like running a test suite until it hits the first failure. 
Um, but this at least like lets me see all the failures at once and give me that early feedback. Do you really use max fail one? All the time, yeah. <laughs> because you don't like typing dash X? Uh, well, I just I can never remember the short options, and there's so many of them. <laughs> oh, okay. But then again, I can't remember whether it's max max dash fail or max fail one word, and so yeah, I should probably just learn the short ops. Uh, next one's not not surprising to me. Um, I don't know much about it. Pytest Django. It, uh, but I have talked with uh, Django people that say this is well, it's just the way to go. It's uh, how you can um, easily hook uh, Django testing with do Django testing with Pytest. PyTest, so mm-hmm. can't really talk much about it, but cool that it's there. Yeah, uh, made the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, PyTest HTML. Uh, I have used this. I love it. I don't. I'm not using it right now, but I I do really like it. Um, it is a project out of Mozilla, uh, and it uh, um, it allows you to um, generate an HTML report for your test suite run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually kind of incredible how much stuff you, you can do with this, uh, to the point of, you can have, um, um, uh, you can have screenshots, even you can have, uh, have PyTest grab, uh, grab whatever, you know, do a screen grab and throw that mm-hmm. into your, into your test, uh, report. That's pretty neat. And other stuff you can, there's other ways to add, uh, data and information to the report. Um, so. Yeah, I actually hadn't seen this one before, and so I, I went and installed it and tried it out, and the reports are actually super useful and and they look pretty good. Yeah, and there's there's one there's an option that that that's a fairly good JavaScript thing where you can you can filter the some of the the results if you've got a big suite you can filter the the just look for the failures look for the passes stuff like that you can look at the time. Um, uh, yeah, it, one of the things that's nice is it does report um, how long it takes, how long things are, the different tests are running. Uh, the On episode 25 of Testing Code, um, I did uh, interview Dave Hunt, and he's one of the, the people on this project. We talked about it a lot. Um, this actually ties really nicely into the next plugin, which is PyTest Metadata. Um, and this, um, I learned about it because i was using when i was using pytest html we have stopped using html for uh, oddly enough but we continue to use metadata because it allows you to add extra data uh to the output which is in we you can stick the output in the like your junit xml output so mm-hmm. um so that data can be uh, seen by uh, um your continuous integration server or something so it's neat. Um, we use it also to um, we're storing our um, our test results into a, an external database of our own design, and mm-hmm. a lot of that extra data um, is uh, is collected like uh, uh, which which devices we're to running our tests on, and um, you know what version of the software we're using, and things like that can th- get thrown in there, so they're easily pulled out. So, yeah, I hadn't actually seen this plugin before, but. Uh, man, I wish I would have like two and a half years ago, we were setting up a Selenium suite and it would have been very useful for annotating the output, but <laughs> now I know about it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in default, by default, it throws a few extra, uh, a full, like a few version, a few metadata items. I can't remember what they are. 
uh, which operating system you're running is one, which, you know, um, I'm always using the same operating system, so I usually uh, remove that. Uh, but um, I could see why that'd be important for Mozilla. Um, but uh, for me, uh, we've you can add your own, so I, we definitely add stuff. And you can also, it's already built in to have some command line flags, so you can you can either add data at runtime, or you can add data from the command line uh, as one of the flags. So that's cool. Oh, neat. That's nice. Thank you, Springboard, for sponsoring this episode. If you want to learn to write machine learning algorithms, want to learn how to build and deploy a deep learning prototype, or want hands-on experience in deploying a machine learning model into production, then check out Springboard's machine learning engineering career track. It's like an online boot camp, but way more project-based learning. And you'll work towards creating your own portfolio of machine learning models. You'll be paired with a machine learning expert who provides unlimited one-on-one mentorship support throughout the course. The program was built for software engineers. So to be eligible, you must have at least one year experience coding with an object-oriented language such as Python, C++, or Java. Testing Code has partnered with Springboard to exclusively offer 20 scholarships of $500 each to eligible applicants. Keep in mind, scholarships are awarded on a first-come, first-served basis, and you have to use code AI Springboard. Check out if you are eligible by going to springboard.com. Applying is free and only takes 10 minutes. Uh, next uh, is uh, PyTest Async IO. Mm-hmm. Um, Not surprising this one's this high up. Yeah, Async is pretty hot. Um, so, yeah, actually, this kind of tells me that people are actually testing their Async code. So that's cool. Which is impressive because it's pretty hard to test Async code. <laughs> yeah. So actually, the just because of this plugin exists, I kind of want to, I don't have any Async projects right now. But I might be one of those people that artificially goes out and uh, like creates a reason to use a use a uh, a feature, and I think uh, this is a good reason to try to come up with some async project. Yeah, build something to learn something. That's that's always my approach. Yeah, the next one is one of the reasons why I'm glad we're doing this list. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so pytest split tests. Um, this is, has some fairly long winded flags that you have to pass in to make it work. Um, mm-hmm. however, what it does is it split. So you've got a long test suite or a test suite with a bunch of, either it's long running or essentially it's just the number of tests. You got mm-hmm. a, a bunch of tests and you want to, uh, run a portion of it. Um, yeah, I actually don't know how to do that without like manually. I could. Uh, before I would maybe like run different setup, split them up into directories and run like a directory at a time or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but this just like chunks it up. So let's say you've got like a uh, hundred tests and it, or a hundred test cases. It'll, it'll do like, you can chunk it up to say do 10 at a time. And, and, um, and in this instance, just do the first 10 and mm-hmm. run that. And then like the second 10 or something. Um, this would be really great if, uh, like, we, uh, of course, we want isolated tests. Um, but sometimes with fixtures and stuff, we kind of have to fudge the isolation a little bit to save time. And mm-hmm. uh, you still get like, okay, so, so one of my tests is mucking up the fixture. So you kind of have to break it up. And that's where I would use this definitely is to try to debug a large test suite that um, uh, you, the whole thing fails, but it fails at different times. 
And yet, every time one of them fails and I rerun that test, it passes. This would mm-hmm. be a good th- way to help debug that. So, for sure, yeah. One the one use case that I saw for this that was that seemed really good is like, uh, for example, GitHub Actions gives you I think it's twenty parallel workers, which is which is insane. That's such a large number of parallel workers for free CI. Um, but often I'm like struggling like. How how would I use all twenty workers on my on my workloads? Uh, but this would be like an easy way to take you know some test suite that you know has independent tests, and you could just you know split them in half or split them in thirds and use as many of those workers as possible. Wow, but, and that would be easy. You could just you don't even have to like split them up into directory or anything. Just uh, add the flags, and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly, I used to work on another test runner called Testify, which is now defunct and and dead, and you know PyTest lives on. Uh, but in Testify, we had a similar feature to this, but it was it was really really difficult to get right, and I'm glad that this plugin gets it you know spot on for PyTest. Yeah, it's cool. I'm definitely going to start playing with this right away. Okay, I I've got mixed feelings about this next one but About it's the next one me yeah. too <laughs> really okay <laughs> yeah so the next one is pytest sugar um which actually we have a few plugins that are similar in nature to pytest sugar uh and we might talk about them later but like another one is pytest emoji um and what this does is it changes i don't know i think pytest emoji is a little bit simpler than pytest sugar pytest sugar changes a lot of the way that pytest outputs and in some ways, I think it makes the output a lot better. Uh, it certainly compacts it a lot and gives you better signal on to like pass and fail with these nice little check marks and um, and other little things and little improvements. Um, but it's for me, it's just very jarring coming from the default high test output and like getting used to the alternate display is a little bit different. Um, what what are your thoughts on it? I personally don't like it. I, and I don't know why I don't like it. So normally, if you just run by default PyTest, it'll like do dots for the passes and mm-hmm. uh, F for failures. And and this one does check marks and X's instead. And the percentage, I mean, it, it used to be more useful than before. So uh, back in the day, um, uh, PyTest wouldn't tell, wouldn't give you a percentage of output. And now mm-hmm. as you're running, as you as you can see the output of the, your different test files running, it'll tell you roughly percentage-wise um, how, many, how much is left. Um, like you've gotten like 10% done or 40% done or something. And uh, PyTest Sugar would give you that plus a bar chart. Um, oh yeah, there's the progress bar. I forgot about the progress bar. Yeah, so it kind of did like this progress bar, but it, it sort of looks, it just, because it, it draws it one line at a time, it ends up being sort of like a, um, I don't know. It's like a Christmas tree effect. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was it, gonna say the same thing. <laughs> it gets bigger, but you don't know where it's gonna end. So, um, without the percentages, it doesn't give you much. But so it's just sort of kind of neat to have. I don't know. I um, think they've improved the progress bar a little bit since last time I tried it, so it doesn't end up with that Christmas tree. But yeah, I I remember when the Christmas tree was there. One of the things I do like about it is just the demonstration that you can muck with the output of uh, PyTest. I think the code for PyTest Emoji is a little, little more clear, but but PyTest Emoji was uh, written as an example for people to learn how to 
change the output. So the different mm. goals. Um, I didn't know that about PyTest emoji, but now I know. Um, PyTest poo is probably my favorite, but it's deprecated. Um, <laughs> have you used PyTest poo? I have not. <laughs> um, and I think it was just built as a joke, but I'm bummed that it doesn't work anymore. So maybe I'll have to do a, like a pull request. Uh, yeah, get that working again. Which would just, it just ran like normal, except for all your test fail- failures would do the poo emoji instead. So, um, gosh, gotta love that. Next is PyTest rerun failures. I gotta admit, we use this. Yeah, we do too. <laughs> so this is uh, for flaky tests. What is this, one of the things you do right after a test fails in a big suite? You run it by itself to see if it the next time you run it, it it'll pass. Just it gives you some information. So PyTest rerun failures lets you just do that automatically. Any test that fails, it just runs it again. And I think you can do multiple times or give it a limit. We usually just give it one. We want to at least one run it one more time to see if maybe just something was weird about the network or something. So. I think we run it with three, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like a sad admission, but yeah. Uh, it's life. We're pragmatists. It's good to just have that data right away. In a, in a pure world, I would rather not use it, but you know, it's it's convenient. I don't, I don't even know if it really saves us time. I think that every time I've used this, it just fails three times in a row anyway. Mm. Instead, so that's uh, actually making our test suite longer. But it, um, at least we know that it's not. Yeah. It wasn't just something weird. Yeah, we applied it to a suite that had a couple hundred, you know, one percent failure tests, and so it would sort of pave over those those problems with retries, and seemed to work well enough to make the suite more reliable. I mean, I think if I remember right, it doesn't completely hide that something failed. Mm -hmm. It somehow tells you, yes, there were reruns, and whether or not it passed the second time or not. Yeah, it gives them a special status. Yeah. Okay. Uh, PyTest-ENV. This is probably one of my favorite plugins and probably the one that I use the most. Uh, what does it do? So it's a very, very simple plugin. It, I think the plugin is only like 10 lines of code. Uh, but it basically takes a configuration file that lists a series of environment variables, so things that you would put into os.environ, and it just consistently sets them during your test run or unsets them. Um, and so if you need like a specific, you know, I want to fake that I'm in the production environment, you'll just con- set a constant, you know, service underscore environment equals production. And then whenever you run your test, that will be automatically set for you. And before I realized this plugin existed, I was doing a similar thing with Tox and the setEnv option there. Uh, but the problem with Pox's setEnv is if you run PyTest outside of Tox, then you don't get that. And so you have to remember to set all the same environment variables. Or you set up a manual fixture that you know sets them and unsets them by yourself. Uh, but this is just like way better for not having to think about that. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one example. Well, I do a lot of stuff that deals with Git repositories and running Git. And uh, in order to make a commit in Git, you need I think it's a minimum of four environment variables coming from a blank system to say like what the user is and what their email is. And so I just have this like nice little copy and paste blob that you know sets the user to Anthony Satilli and the email to something at example.com. And uh, then I don't really have to worry about using Git inside of my test suite. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Nice. Next is PyTest cache. 
and fortunately, it's been included into core, so it's no longer uh, no longer needed to be installed separately. But it it allows you to cache some data about the PyTest session, such that you can, you know, uh, look at a previous run or prevent computation of some complex data or stuff like that. Uh, PyTest actually uses this internally for uh, only rerunning the failed tests. If you're using dash dash LF for last 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 failed test, yeah, yeah, Um, and so that's actually implemented using the cache plugin. Okay, that's funny, because I actually wrote about using the cache in the PyTest book, but I forgot that it used to be a plugin, because mm-hmm. uh, it's just built in. Uh, well, I mean, it's still a plugin. It's, it's just shipped with PyTest now. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, a PyTest Flask is next. That is also not surprising. I'm guessing it's similar to PyTest Django in that it helps you test Flask stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I don't think I've used it, so I'm not really yeah. writing a lot of Flask. So. I haven't either, and I have written a lot of Flask, so I'll have to check it out. Okay. Using PyTest to test your Flask? Yeah, usually. Uh, we kind of do two approaches that work for testing Flask applications. One is to take the views separately and just call them. And the other one is to set up the... So Flask has kind of a fake server where you can you know, run an HTTP request in process and look at the response. Um, we do both of those approaches at Lyft. I assume PyTest Flask makes it a little bit easier to set that up. Um, PyTest Benchmark is uh, actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Have you used it? I used it once, and <laughs> then I decided that I was going to write my own benchmark suite instead. Um, it worked really well for what I was trying to do, but the output was not quite what I wanted. Um, but it's a pretty good tool for just you know writing a small amount of code that you want to spin a bunch of times and see how long it takes and like compare that against other runs. Uh, it, it makes benchmarking pretty easy if you're trying to benchmark particular test code. I think benchmarking is one of those well, those things. I don't think I've met a developer that hasn't written their own benchmark code. Um, <laughs> and with, oh my gosh, I'd, I should write a library for this. And maybe I should open source it. That's why there's so many benchmark <laughs> libs out there. It's like USB. We're going to have another one now. (laughs) (laughs) PyTest ordering is next. Mm -hmm. There's actually a couple of plugins that are related to this one. Uh, But this one in particular is about picking, well, forcing tests to run in specific order, if I recall correctly. Uh, There's a couple other plugins like PyTest randomly, which will uh, intentionally shuffle your tests every time they run to try and expose. Uh, test pollution. It's like, you know, test A runs before test B and it passes, but if you run on the other order, it will fail. And it, it tries to, like, you know, suss out those uh, those pollutions. Randomly, we do use because uh, it's definitely good to be able to shuffle those around sometimes. One of the warnings I give people is if you randomize your test suite and there's failures that weren't there before, Yes, you've found something that you need to fix, but don't feel terrible about it. It happens to all of us. Yep. <laughs> Global mutable state. It's so easy to happen, and it's uh, sometimes hard to fix. But at least you can kind of detect it using these types of plugins. PyTest Watch, I absolutely love. It's great. This one, just it just watches all your tests and stuff. And if you change mm-hmm. anything, it just reruns stuff. Yep. It's especially good if you have like a very, very fast test suite. So you can get that feedback almost instantly. I was using this uh, 
con- almost constantly when I was writing the PyTest book. The next one we're going to cover is PyTest Python Path. And I- <laughs> this one just like raised my blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, I was curious what your thoughts on this are. Um, so I know I myself have had to fiddle with Python Path and test a few times, and uh, I always hate to admit it. It's like you kind of need to sometimes but like i mean it 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 also doesn't surprise me how popular this plugin is (laughs) so if people aren't familiar with what it is if you run python dash m pytest to run your tests one -hmm. of the things you get for that is python will add the current directory that you're in to the python path so that all the modules in this directory are findable this is important for your tests. So if the tests include a module, should they come from here or not? Mm-hmm. One of the problems with that is if you're right, trying to write a, a package and test a package, uh, you want to be able to test the installed package, not the, the your current code. So there is some issues with that. I think that's one of the reasons why PyTest chose to not include the current directory in the Python path. But mm-hmm. if you run PyTest by itself, it does not include the current directory. I actually like that feature. It annoys some people. PyTest dash Python path, that plugin, it does a couple things. One of the things it does, and this is the advertised thing that it does, the advertised thing it does is it allows you in your PyTest any file to define uh, directories that are should be included in your Python path. The other side effect, which I don't think it was documented last time I checked, was it adds the current directory to the Python path also. Mm, oops. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this is why the, the source layout of Python packages is so popular, because uh, the the empty string current directory path you know, addition side effect is a super common pitfall and you know, pretty easy to upload a broken package if you're testing in a way that uh, doesn't reflect how your package would be installed. Yeah. So one of the the other way I've dealt with that also is in like talks allows you to set a a working directory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just make sure that I set talks to be in the test directory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not in the parent of the test directory when I start. And so at at that point, you can't see even if you were to run Python, right? You miss that mistake. I believe the setting is is changed there, but yeah, I've used that as well. We're going to do a couple more, and then we might jump around. PyTest Flake 8. This allows you to just run Flake 8 against your tests. I don't remember if it runs against your code also. Yeah, it runs against your code also. I'm so I, I'm really confused why... I don't know, there's a bunch of plugins like this in this list. I'm really confused why this is so popular. Uh, I guess I get, like, you want to run one command, and then you're done. You don't want to have to run PyTest, and then run Flake 8, and then run, you know, whatever other tool you have. Uh, it just seems really, really weird to me to mix up linting and testing into the same bucket. In the same way that, like, PyTest Benchmark also rubs me a little bit the wrong way, because it seems a little bit weird to mix benchmarking and testing at the same time. But at least with that one, I can kind of see some tests that could double as benchmarks. But this one, I just, I just don't really get it. <laughs> Have yeah. you used this plugin? Um, I'm actually thinking about it, and the, so we'll just go ahead and I'm going to look at the, down the list. We've got PyTest Flake Eight and Pep Eight and Pylint 
and what else? Uh, My Pie. Um, uh, I think that's it here yeah. so far. That are like these linting things. There is also Pytest Black that I've seen as well. <laughs> yeah, that one's a that would be surprising because Black changes your code. Um, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to change my code while I'm running. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, Black has an option to not. Yeah, uh, it uses check mode. I think yeah. if I remember right. Okay. Well, we have some linting at work for our tests, and and I'd like to have more going on so that the, some of the things that we're spending time during code review shouldn't be spent in code review. We should have linters to check this stuff for us. Of course, we have we have computers that are very good at nitpicking. Yes, but it is not part of everybody in my uh, immediate work group's normal workflow to run anything other than just run running PyTest. Mm. Um, but if we had our test suite that everybody's working on. If some of these things like Flake 8 were already built in, then um, they would know they have to fix it because while you're coding, you'd see, oh, my test failed because of the Flake problem or something. Mm -hmm. But that might annoy people, too. (laughs) Uh, Definitely will annoy people. (laughs) Okay, so when do you want to annoy people? Uh, Because you can either annoy people while they're running their tests, or you can annoy people like while they're trying to check in their code. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people do run these sort of things with, uh, like commit hooks. Mm-hmm. Do you run flake eight or anything like that? I mean, I'm obviously biased because, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an author of a git hooks framework. So that's usually when I try and run them. Uh, but yeah, I use flake eight. Uh, I guess I'm also the current maintainer of flake eight. So I'm a little bit biased there as well. Uh, but yeah, I use flake eight on all my projects. I use a couple of other linters and code formatters as well. And, uh, you know, try and try and hand wave away these sorts of, you know, nitpick conversations during code review so that people can focus their time on architectural changes and stuff like that. The Git thing is pre-commit, right? Yep. Do you have everybody on your team running pre-commit then? Yeah, so we actually introduced this recently at Lyft, and I think we have somewhere around 600 repositories that have adopted this as their linting framework, and it makes it really easy for uh, developers to quickly get feedback about their code changes uh, before they hit CI. Uh, we also run it in CI to make sure that, like, you know, we're still validating everything is correct and still catching bugs before production. Okay. Do you feel like it's better to have that catch after you thought you're done with your changes and you're trying to check them in? Is that the right time to be doing that? Or, um, I don't know. I think. I think my opinions on the subject is I like to have this information as early as possible and, uh, you know, as often as possible until I finally get to the change set. And so things like editor integration or, you know, get hooks are a good way to get early feedback. Obviously, you're not going to get it like at test time like you would with this plugin. Um, but like, I, I think I think as early as possible is, is good. OK, so let's say I have a like a failure. Um, and I have it on a pre-commit hook. Um, uh, will it just not allow me to check stuff in then or commit it? Um, so by default, it will kick you out of that commit and have you change it before you commit it. However, there's other modes where you can like temporarily skip something or you can skip the whole set of checks entirely. Okay. So like, let's say I'm, I'm working on my own branch and I just want to make sure that I've committed stuff before I go home or for the weekend. And I, okay, I see there's failures, but I want to push it in, or not push it, but commit it to my branch anyway. You mm-hmm. can, there's ways to get around it then at least. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Git has the built in dash dash no verify. 
And in the, the framework called pre-commit, there's a skip option, which allows you to skip individual hooks. Okay, cool. All right. Now we're kind of running long. In the list coming up, there's a randomly and repeat. Mm-hmm. Sort of already covered randomly. It's a good thing to use. What does repeat do? Uh, repeat's a really good one. I use this one a lot when... Uh, so actually, I'm <laughs> I'm working on my own text editor right now, which is a whole different story. Uh, but I have a test suite for it that actually spins up the text editor, interacts with it, and then like runs a sort of Selenium-style test against it. And some of those tests end up being a little bit flaky. And PyTest Repeat has been really useful for finding those tests and then like you know run them a hundred times in a row and check if they still fail after I've quote unquote fixed the flake. Um, but PyTest Repeat, yeah, it's it's it basically does one thing. It allows you to repeat tests a bunch of times. Okay, so the the rerun failures only reruns the failed ones until it passes. But this one. Uh, would just sort of run the same one whether it passed or failed, right? Yep. Yeah, the way it works is it it sets a parameterized decorator on every test that just has an integer that goes from some number to some other number. And so any test you would have just gets repeated that number of times. Okay, cool. Now, in the rest of our list, is there anything you wanted to cover that we haven't? Um, hmm, there's one other one that I think is really cool. Uh, well... I mean, it's it's really cool if you're working on Selenium tests, which is PyTest Selenium. Um, but I think that's the only other one I had from this list. Oh, I guess FreezeGun, that one's good too. So FreezeGun like, fixes the time, right? Yeah, it lets you have specific fixtures that will set the time and date to a particular point in time so that you can test particularly gnarly scenarios. Uh, like we used this to do <laughs> the old, the day old problem of daylight savings time and know leap second bugs uh you can actually set the time to those particular frames and see how your code reacts to them yeah and plus it's got a great name freeze gun freeze gun yeah i think that's a lot of stuff that we've covered i don't remember i wasn't keeping track of how many the top end the top end pytest plugins i would love feedback from other people like to hear which plugins are your favorite which ones you are Good things that maybe we should pass around, pass along. Things that you're surprised are not on the list because you you love them so much. Uh, maybe other people need to hear about them too. So let us know. Thanks so much for covering these with me, Anthony. Yeah, happy to be on. Thank you, Anthony, and thank you, Patreon supporters, for continuing to support the show. Join them by going to testandcode.com/support. Thank you to Oxylabs and Springboard for sponsoring this episode. Check them out with the links on the show notes at testandcode.com. The show notes also have the complete list of the 28 plugins we covered, so you'll definitely want to check that out. That's all for now. Now go out and test something, or maybe try a new plugin to supercharge your testing. <laughs>